high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom. This is your news for Monday, October 24th. The Moab Science Festival held events around town over the weekend, giving locals and visitors a look at some of the fascinating fields studied in our region. That includes paleontology. Over the last few decades, discoveries have put us on the map for dinosaur tracks. This is this kind of large, it's like about the size of a dinner plate, goes this way. So this is actually a sauropod track. So this is a long neck plant-eating dinosaur track. Rebecca Hunt Foster is standing barefoot next to a dinosaur track indented in rock. We're at the Mill Canyon Dinosaur Track site just outside of Moab. Hunt Foster is a paleontologist, now working at Dinosaur National Monument near Vernal. But she helped develop this site for the Bureau of Land Management in 2014. Another one of my favorite tracks that's really honestly pretty rare is one right here, and then there's one right here, and one right here. And these are probably ornithomimid tracks. So an ornithomimid is a dinosaur that kind of looks like an ostrich. It has a long tail and arms to hug you with. A lot of the tracks around the country are from the Jurassic Age, but the prints she's showing us are from the early Cretaceous, much younger. She says that in the 80s and 90s, people really didn't think there were a lot of dinosaurs in this era. And paleontologists finally started looking at these rocks and realized it was not the case. It was the opposite. Full of dinosaurs. And so most of the brand new dinosaurs that have come out in the last 20 or 30 years have come from the Moab area. Uh, we have new dinosaurs coming out all the time. Some of those discoveries rely off volunteers, like Lee Shenton. This is probably the most important uh, lower Cretaceous uh, track site in North America. So, He's the president of the Moab chapter of Utah Friends of Paleontology. The group has around 160 volunteers around the state, some formally trained paleontologists, others just amateurs. With limited state resources, they're an important tool. Shenton helped develop this site, in fact. We're willing dirt mules. You know, we were the ones that shoveled off into wheelbarrows the overburden until we got to within a couple of inches of the actual track layer and then the pros took over. A crowd of around a few dozen are gathered today to hear the presentation, standing on a newly finished elevated concrete walkway. After a couple of uh, speed bumps along the way, they did a terrific job. Uh, the new elevated walkway is going to last for decades. Uh, it is wider, it's certainly more accessible to the public. Um, even folks that uh, need wheelchairs could get up on that once they get down the trail, of course. The speed bumps he mentioned refers to minor damage to dinosaur tracks made during the construction. Even though the tracks are in rock, they're sensitive. Why? counted 42 people here today and not one of them were walking on the tracks except for Rebecca who is doing it in bare feet. You can look at dinosaur tracks while standing on that new walkway anytime. Make sure to also check out the new informative placards and you can find information on volunteering with Utah Friends of Paleontology at their website. We'll have a link in the show notes. The Moab City Council will meet on Tuesday. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News gives us a preview of the council's agenda. Council members will consider approval of a microtransit business to provide year-round bus service as well as a seasonal fixed route up and down Moab's main street during high season. 
The city will also consider a formal operating and maintenance agreement with the organizers of Anonymous Bike Park, which recently formed a nonprofit. And council members will hear a request by the developers of the controversial Lionsback Resort to extend its festing period by 75 months, the length of time the project has spent in litigation. This agenda preview is produced with our partners at the Moab Sun News. Moab City Council meetings are held on the second and fourth Tuesdays of every month at 6 p.m. and streamed live on Moab City's YouTube page. In 2017, Colorado San Miguel County planted its first pollinator garden in collaboration with the Xerces Society, an organization working to promote international pollinator health. Deep in a valley near Telluride, the garden has been growing ever since. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KOTO's Gavin McGough visited with the gardeners to learn how regional pollinators are preparing for winter. It's morning in Placerville at the county park, and the sky is a nondescript gray, dull against the vibrant yellow of the willows shedding their leaves along the San Miguel River. In the high peaks, the first snow has already come, bringing to the valley the defining colors of fall, along with short days and slow mornings cloaked in cold mist. The center of the park's open lawn is disrupted by a garden, which, even late in the season, is full of vibrant blossoms. The garden was originally planted six years ago, and park supervisor Rich Hamilton says it's been growing ever since. At that time, it was about 40 to 50 different species of plants, but now we're up to over 75 different species of plants. 95% of them are native. The 5% that are not native, and we're seeing how it goes with, with those, um, but we try to keep it as native as possible. Hamilton explains that what makes his garden unique is it is not directly for county residents, and it's not even mainly about the plants. Rather, says Hamilton, It's all about the butterflies and the bees and the hummingbirds, though. It's not really a garden for people. It's a garden for the pollinators. Installed by the former county commissioner Art Goodtimes, the garden is an initiative of San Miguel County to support pollinating insects in the region. The garden's main caretaker, Jacqueline Hudson, says that maintaining blossoms throughout the growing season is essential for pollinator health. This garden in particular, you know, there's different plants that flower at different times. And I think one of the things that Rich has incorporated into this garden very, very well is the fact that there are very early spring bloomers. There are summer bloomers, and as you can see, there are fall bloomers. And so each species of plant has their own schedule. And so us as humans, we are supposed to work with that schedule in order to promote the pollinator population. Come fall, pollinators are eager to tank up on food reserves for their winter hibernation. Hudson says late into the season, she is surrounded by activity, never gardening alone especially on the goldenrod when it's sunny out, you can see at least half a dozen different species of pollinators on the same plant. Late blooming flowers are also essential to migratory insects. Hudson says she and Hamilton have planted milkweed in the hopes of seeing monarchs return to the valley. That's kind of been a dream of mine as a gardener is I want to see a monarch <coughs> butterfly on this side of the divide in this habitat in San Miguel County. Alongside the insects, the gardeners prepare for winter in their own way. 
The full process involves laying in mulch, planting seeds which need to overwinter, and harvesting seeds which can be planted next year. Beyond these tasks, Hudson says, she lets nature take care of itself. Basically let it go. Goldenrod, the bee balm, echinacea, all of these species of plants have seeds that are eaten um, by birds and small mammals during the winter. So I leave all of that standing because birds got to eat too. And then when the snows come, the snows fold the stems over and fold the leaves over the ground. The snow and vegetation become a blanket which cover the earth and its creatures. For anyone wishing to get into the garden in a future season, Hamilton says that every little bit of flowering earth will help to strengthen a county-wide network of pollinating insects. Well, it starts in your backyard and little pockets around your homes. If you can plant native perennials, annuals, and shrubs, even trees are pollinators, you're helping out. But, uh, we have plans for future pollinator projects with San Miguel County. Like little pockets, like around the bus stop in Placerville, for example, just to uh, give these migratory species like the monarch little jump and skips to get one from one garden to the other. Hudson adds that the insects unique to this region thrive alongside our native plants. And uh, if you want to have a focus on Colorado native, um, then that's really great because the Colorado native plants uh, have evolved with the Colorado native pollinators. And so they inevitably go together like peanut butter and jelly. As the pollinators prepare for winter, it's never too early to begin dreaming of the gardening season to come. For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough. That story from KOTO was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KZMU. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, October 24th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.